Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you for joining us via podcast. And uh, if you're if you're in the area uh, live uh, with NPR, uh, 88.9 FM, WQCS, we are always fortunate to have a guest in the studio with us. And today we have Dr. Russell Bourne, who's a return guest, um, someone I'd like to consider a friend and mentor for many years. And he's also been on the show. And um, I asked him to come and talk about the psychology of COVID. And there's so many different points and uh, places to come at that from, you know, because there's how we are affected psychologically by this whole approach to the coronavirus strain 19. Um, and also how psychology has been used to affect the populace on a global level for many different reasons and in, with many different goals in mind and not all of it wellness. So I kind of wanted to chat with someone who I felt not only has a candor and balance to his practice and way of being um, that I appreciate and admire, uh, but also has a background from government to private practice that is just um, truly, truly astounding. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Dr. Russell Warren. It's a pleasure to be here. That's quite an introduction. Um, if my um, father were alive and he heard that, he would know that you are um, really quite overly complimentary. My mother, if she heard it, she would have believed every bit of it and thought, yeah, that's my son. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. it's nice to be uh, welcomed, and it's always nice to, um, you know, think that one of your friends, your buddies, um, thinks well of you. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Um, COVID has been an extraordinary phenomena for all of us. Uh, when we think that it was uh, barely a year that um, we began as a community to know about it, not quite a year before things began to get locked down about a bit. And for some folks, um, it's been uh, almost a disaster, right? So early on, I think you and I were chatting, Ken, at the office, um, and I said to you that I had um, taken uh, uh, take an issue with what someone had come in and was speaking about COVID, and they said, well, you know, we, 
we have to remember that we're all in uh, the same boat. And I said, we are absolutely not all in the same boat. We might all be in the same storm. Uh, some people are in a big boat, a yacht with crew, and uh, they're going to weather almost any storm pretty well. And other folks are in a small boat, and maybe the, have already lost one oar of this small rowboat, and they are really struggling through this storm. And so for those of us who have been fortunate enough not to contract COVID or have a family member get ill, and who have been fortunate enough that financially we've sort of weathered that part of the storm, we have to really keep, I think, our um, eyes wide open to the continued struggles of so many others who have not been quite as fortunate as we have. Mm. Such a true and, and sincere point. Um, and, you know, uh, by the way, at some point, listeners, you're, you might hear a new voice chime in. Her name is Katie Mack. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I, I did want her to sit in occasionally and, um, I don't know, just co-host with me and uh, give a female perspective and a well-rounded health perspective. And so, you know, going forward, you might hear some Katie Magnus in the house. <laughs> in the house. Um, so, Dr. Bourne, for our listeners, just a reminder, uh, how many years in the CIA, how many years in private practice doing what you do? Uh, so I've been a psychologist um, a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, since 1980. Mm -hmm. So I um, was licensed by the uh, State Board of Medicine in Virginia in 1980. Um, worked for the CIA for 24 years. I've lived in Florida for 23 years and licensed by the health care board here during that amount of time. So... Um, you know, been doing something with psychology for 40 plus years. Um, I know it looks like I should be much older than that, but that's just all it is. <laughs> I, you look great, whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> um, but it has been a wonderful uh, way to spend, you know, a working career. Um, I've, I've literally enjoyed everything I've done. I've mm -hmm. been really one of those fortunate folks in that regard. Yeah. yeah. And so all of that together and then like I said I, I guess I brought up the whole your perspective on health and mental health as a whole because of the the two different aspects of how you work public sector versus government so that's why I asked if you oh. could separate the, the history of the two how much time you spent in each sure so uh, the CIA was 24 years and everything else has been either um, it's interesting. It's not really an either-or because I, I was a psychologist while right. working for the agency. Um, I've also been a college professor and university administrator, so right. I've worked with young adults. But either teaching psychology or serving as a psychologist in a, in a counseling center for young adults um, or directing those programs. And... You know, so all of it has had to do with finding a way to help people understand themselves and the circumstances they're in uh, for their better, right? How, how do they benefit with a different understanding of what's going on, right? So that being said, and, and was to bring us to this question, you're seeing patients now in private sector, and you're seeing people since this all started really, let's say the, the situation got pretty dire around February, March, with quarantining and 
misinformation versus what to do, how to handle families, insecurities, worries, and then of course the actual physicality of it, people dying and right, right, right. So you're dealing now with people at that time when everything happened virtually. I'm assuming. Um, so we we stopped. I stopped seeing anyone in person somewhere around the third week in March okay. and only did uh, phone consults um, during probably the next four weeks and then gradually some patients with appropriate you know air filtration and mask and that sort of thing were willing to or wanted to actually be back in the office um, there's still some patients that I see virtually or, or visit with virtually um, you know, again, because of their concerns about infection rates and what, what is safe and what isn't for them. The, um, the return to the office, so it's probably been 60%, probably 60% of the patients I see now, I see in person in the office. And again, as, uh, you, as you well know, you do it also. Um, we have the special N95 and HIPAA air filtration units in each office. and keep our six to nine feet away and feel pretty safe. Um, I'm not aware of anyone testing positive that's come in or out of the space that you and I and Dr. Goki share. So I think we're, we're doing things properly, right? Mm -hmm. Keep things safe. Since you've been seeing these people, whether virtually or in person, what would you say has been the most um, common thread of complaint psychologically besides the blanket complaint of stress, right, or worry or anxiety, w within that, what do you see is the common thread, whether it be marital or, or family, you know, familiar or professional? What, what is it that? Well, it's interesting because I, you know, the stress factors of life with these sort of restrictions, all of those, it isn't necessarily that um, all of the factors are new. I mean, people have had reasons to be stressed in any marriage or family or work setting. Right. It's just that the combination of all of them and the limited number of ways to manage that stress. Mm. Right? So for some people, yeah. managing the stress was having a nice lunch with a friend mm. once a week. Or for right. others, it was having the grandchildren come on the weekend. Or, or bigger or, social engagements. Or bigger social engagements, right. right? So it seems that of all the things that we think we know psychologically about people, the one thing that we think we know the deepest is that we are social creatures and we do not enjoy isolation, right? right? The, the punishment we give to the baddest of bad guys, right? The people who don't like people, right? right? The murderers and the torturers and the really bad habitual offenders, we give them solitary confinement. Mm. Now these are people who don't wow. like people. Right? Yeah. They right. already don't like people, or they wouldn't be doing all these mean, horrible things, and yet they can't stand being alone. Wow. <laughs> right? right? And, so, and so when yeah. we uh, impose a kind of solitary confinement on people and then are not aware enough as a, as a collective community of what that's going to do right. to folks. Because it's never really been done on such a mass global scale. That is absolutely correct. Right. Right. And, and on a mass scale that only seemed a little bit voluntary. Mm -hmm. Right, well, people mm -hmm. were. It was still voluntary, right. right? But it didn't seem voluntary no. because of the way it was presented and because of all the fear right. that was generated. And some of the laws that were created around it. I mean, yeah, mandates they were called versus laws. In some cases, there right. were laws. Right. Right. 
right? So um, managing that stress, right? I mean, when you are doing something that seems endless, right? You can think of, um, what do we want to think of? We can think of Sisyphus, right? When he's pushing the rock, right? He's condemned by the gods for his uh, irreverence. Uh, that he will spend the rest of his life pushing this boulder to the top of a hill only to see it return to the bottom and he has to push it again. What's interesting in that myth is he does, doesn't quit. He doesn't say enough of this, go ahead and just put me to death. I'm not doing this silly chore any longer. He does it over and over again. And sort of one of the morals or conclusions to draw from that is that in, in today's common parlance, we would say Sisyphus claims the rock, right? He says, this is my job, this is my rock, and I'm going to push it up better the next time than I did the last time. And that's the only way he finds sort of purpose um, in the rest of his, uh, his life, is to face the challenge um, and do it better today than he did it yesterday. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocryphal sort of tale for what we've been going through for at least 11 months. Right. Right. And, you know, as a professional, you're, you know, so you're a physician and you, from what I can tell and what, from what I know, we've been social together, whether it's golf over the years or just an occasional conversation. I've seen your rapport with your patients. You, you like people generally. You yeah, know, it's, it's all a fart. I, <laughs> I, I, I pretend to like people because yeah, they taught us yeah. how to do that really well in school. Well, let's say let's let's say you don't you don't abhor people. <laughs> let's put it that way. Actually, in a way, you and I both share this uh, tremendous appreciation for the uh, high compliment people pay us mm -hmm. when they come to spend time with us, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they're fortunately still um, believing that I'm at least minimally helpful, so they're returning, but. Um, you know, it's just quite a compliment, right? Yeah, Somebody yeah. says, yeah, I, I, I want you to help me. Of, of the folks I can choose to help me, I'm choosing you. Right. Right? I mean, it's really, it's a really it is. And huge compliment. However, I, I did notice, and I don't know if you had the same feedback from some, some of your patients, that they could not access um, in the way that they wanted to the physicians that they needed. Um, that were also on their team, so to right. speak. Right. Um, and so there are people in general, and like you said, uh, when referring to certain prisoners, but there are certain professionals that really don't like people. They don't you know, like to be around, and so they really enjoyed this time of not having to interact with <laughs> their patients, and their patients came in upset, you know, and, right. and uh, complaining about that. Um, and so we're, we're at a time where we've seen that also affect the psychological health almost feel like they were being pushed to the side because of some thing that really they should be being helped through. Right. I think the... Um, Wait, before you answer, okay. but also it made your job more comprehensive because now you're not just dealing with one case, you're, I mean, one situation within your cases, you're dealing with also almost being their primary where the psychological health becomes everything. Right. Um, I, I don't know that I have um, uh, conceptualized it that way until mm -hmm. you've just said it. But it was certainly true that there were patients that because of the lack of um, access to some of their specialists, some of their other specialists, right, whether it's a pulmonary doc or cardiologist or an orthopedist, they, they didn't feel like they had access to folks that they needed to have access to. And um, the virtual wasn't quite enough, right? 
Um, now, some physicians who are um, very physical medicine uh, diagnosticians, right? So, and I don't, I don't pick on any of them because I think they do a really important job. But the person whose role is to look at the uh, physical chemistry of the organism, they don't really have to have the organism in front of them. They got lab results, they're looking at the lab results and they're making some decision based upon how do we regulate this physical chemistry to help this person feel or live better. Someone who's primarily a surgeon, they, they like repairing the joint or repairing the heart. Um, they don't really feel the need that you and I might feel to know about the person who has that heart or has that joint, right? Right. And, and so for them it wasn't, they didn't feel quite the detachment that you and I felt, but they also sadly weren't appreciative of the detachment that their patient felt right. <laughs> by not having that contact. Exactly. Right? So, so that, did, that did make it um, a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So then you look at the other side of that mirror or lens or what have you, and you look at the macro aspect. So that's the, that's the micro of, of the patients and interaction and, and how COVID and the quarantining and all this was affecting people in general ways. And we know that stress increased, relationship upheavals. Maybe uh, was, I know for a fact through divorce lawyers that I take care of divorce all-time high and uh, domestic violence yeah domestic uh, t- violence tremendously high yeah right yep um, child abuse right. all of these sort of things so so we know that the psychological has then translated to physical and change of lifestyle life patterns and overall the institution of just marriage and you know in the home um then you look at people in charge of disseminating information and you look at the news, the media, which is a constant, you know, they're just constantly putting out this information. And regardless of the medical content, which is simple, it's not like they would just come on and report, okay, this is what is being said now by the CDC, okay, on to the next subject. No, it was right. a constant barrage of right. information repeated in different ways, different psychologically emotional tool you know uh ways of using that tool to create a um sense of fear a sense of awareness in some cases but mostly fear yeah it didn't seem to me that they were presenting most of that information in a way that would be um comforting and and reassuring to the general population it reminded me and i'm sure there are other folks have commented on this i haven't seen those comments, but I can't imagine that some wise pundit somewhere hasn't said, you know what it's like when the hurricane is still 20 days away and they start telling us to go get our bottled water and and then all the next thing you know, there's no toilet paper or bottled water. And we saw that happening. And, um, and yet they never let up, right? So the hurricane was coming every morning in the lives of every person that went to sleep the night before for 10 months, right? right? Every day we were told that somebody on your block and maybe in your home is gonna be dead by Friday. Or that's what it felt like they were saying, right? right? Um, So this cone of uncertainty around COVID wasn't even beginning to sort of show some boundaries the way the cone of uncertainty of hurricane is. So right. those of us in South Florida, we know that our neighbors, certain neighbors get nervous and they start putting up their 
you know, um, windstorm shutters at the very first sign, and we got, you know, you guys go into a lot of trouble. You might want to hold back a little bit. <laughs> and and the same thing was happening with COVID. Right. All of a sudden, there are people who weren't leaving their home to go to their mailbox. Right. Okay. Right. We we had we were restricted to go on public beaches. Now we know the safest thing we can do is be around fresh air and circulating air. And for a month, you weren't allowed to walk on the beach. Mm -hmm. You don't think that's making somebody feel like, well, this 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 some crazy virus that can yeah. grab me at the beach. Right, anywhere. <laughs> right. You know, right. I mean, it's we coming people, through the, you know, you see people wearing their mask alone in their cars. Yes, and they're doing that it because of what you're saying. So the information was so, I think, frightening to hear, and yet, boy, people turned in. And again, I think the media, they, they play us sometimes, right? Yeah. They just do. Well, I think for the first time in history that I'm aware of, at least my history of my lifetime at 46 years old, and, and you're a bit older than me, I, I, I've never seen this happen. I've He's never so seen polite. It. Is he polite? <laughs> I've been a psychologist so for sweet. 40 years, and I'm a bit older than he is. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. It's, uh, it's relative, but I, I, I don't know how this was allowed. And it used to be, okay, let's not alarm the public. We can't, you know, we have to figure out a way to put this information out there so that it's constructive, so that they can use it. But we don't want to alarm. This became the total opposite. Let's not give really much constructive information, but let's spend every waking hour alarming the public so that they will stay tuned to us. And I know I have neighbors you can see through the window. The news was on 24-7. Right. And so be people became addicted to the fear in a way. And they let it govern their lives, let it govern whether or not they saw their kids. Right. Whether or not they saw their grandkids, whether or not they did anything, whether right. or not they allowed their spouses to see anyone that they needed to see, a dying mother, a dying, you know. Whether I mean, they let their spouses real, hug them and kiss them goodnight uh, because that spouse deeper. had actually gone out to get the mail. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. So what, okay, so this, we have a few minutes left, and this is a big question, and, and, and I understand if you don't want to answer, but what separates the person who succumbs to that fear and and becomes addicted to it from the people like you and I who have basically have had to take care of those people but have been mindful, have been cautious, but have been realistic and have maintained a certain strong mental state of mind as well as a physical state of mind, uh, state of being to come through this sort of in the same way that we went into it. Right, so I think you just began by saying we don't have much time, and yet you yeah. give me a question that's going to require 30 pages to answer, <laughs> right? Um, in general, the people who come through most things pretty well, right, that are traumatic, are folks with an orientation that's mostly that of the optimist, right? So the same number of ounces are in that eight-ounce cup that we say is half full or half empty. The optimist looks at the four ounces that are remaining with, I still have four ounces to enjoy. So they're happy about that. And the pessimist says, half of it's already gone. I'm never going to get to enjoy it again. And they're unhappy about it. But the fact is, it's the same four ounces. So perspective, attitude, right? Um, and we have to row our boat, right? I can be out to sea, and it's a storm, and I say, Lord, help me. My boat's so small, your ocean's so big. 
but I can't just wait to be helped. I still have to row my boat, <laughs> okay, right. right? So pray to God and still row to shore. And so the folks who survived this with less psychic injury were folks who had some faith in themselves to row the boat and some optimistic outlook about we, we, will, we will be okay if we row our own boats and we stay positive, right? I love it. Okay. That's so true. I mean, you can. I hope. I hope our listeners hear that because that's really what it comes down to. I mean, yes, there. You know, it's like you. You don't want to mention. It's okay if people die, but it is because it happens every day, <laughs> for many different reasons. Right. 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 So yeah, I don't want my mother, my, you know, whatever my family members to pass, but it's going to happen. So in the meantime, can we just enjoy each other? Can we enjoy our lives? Can we become more educated? Can we make choices that are going to make us feel more comfortable without um, dismissing the importance of today? Right. Right. Right? The importance of a hug. The importance of social contact. Right. It's so important. That sense of belonging or feeling connected, right, is what makes all of us weather almost any storm, right? So... Um, the people who survived, who have the resilience, um, usually have survived something else. And mm -hmm. so they have a bit more hopefulness that they'll survive this as well. People who are new to struggles or traumas, right, and so they're a bit naive about how to go through this, mm -hmm. they have a harder time, Yeah. right? So in some ways, uh, failure is good. Uh, we need some failure when we're 16 or when we're 25 because we're going to live longer mm. um, and we need to have survived some failure to be able to live longer. Right. So, so not, so in, a, in other words, if you've lived in a shell, then maybe you're going to try to build more shells. <laughs> uh, okay. If right. you've had your shell cracked a few times, you yourself may be more hardened right. and, and weathered and therefore can make it through. I'd say that's true. All right. right. Good. Thank you, Dr. Russell Bourne, for giving us some insight into the psychology of COVID uh, and this, this time, um, this health crisis. I don't like to give too much glory to the name of a virus that's been around for thousands of years. Right. <laughs> um, and there will be more viruses and there'll be more challenges, but we're human beings and we move and we grow and we evolve, hopefully together in the right ways. So uh, this has been another Maximum Health Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. If you missed any portion of the show, it's available via all podcasts all over the world. See you next time. I always feel like